All right, Sebastian, you are the co-founder and chief product officer at Trigger Mesh. And uh, you have an exciting background that I hope we can get into today, talking a little bit about serverless and serviceful and all the great things that you guys are doing over at Trigger Mesh. But I wanted to start with uh, a question I think I find fascinating is that uh, through my research, you are now based in uh, Geneva, Switzerland. Is that correct? Correct. I'm in Geneva, Switzerland. Yep. Okay. Well, I think you have an an incredibly geographically interesting background uh, because it looks okay. like you spent some time in Clemson, South Carolina. Is, is that yeah. correct? That's correct. Okay, I feel like I lived, I lived. I lived six years in Clemson, South Carolina. I have. I had a house in Clemson. Yeah. I feel like if you were to say, Brandon, describe two of the most different places in the world, I think Clemson, South Carolina, and Geneva, Switzerland would be about as good uh, a disparity as that I could come up with. So, so I just yeah. have, I kind of have to know the, the history here. We will, we will go to a little bit, but I know you, you came up and it sounds like you started at King's College and, and where is that based? So actually, so if you want to, we, we can do this because, you know, I, 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 I did enjoy traveling when I was uh, younger, <clears throat> a little bit less now, but so I'm from Brittany in France. Uh -huh. I did my engineering studies in Toulouse, which is south of France. Then the last year of my engineering study, I went to Montreal in Canada uh -huh. for a year. Then from Canada, I went to London at King's College. Okay. From London, I went to Phoenix, Arizona. So Tempe. And that's Arizona State University, right? Arizona ASU? State University. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's where I met my wife who transferred to Purdue. So I followed her from Arizona State to Purdue University in West okay. Lafayette, Indiana. Uh -huh. And from there, both of us, we went down to Clemson, South Carolina. Right? This is fascinating. I feel like right now, this is a book. You just need like, you could just write a book just based on living in these areas. This, I mean, I can't, this just, just blows my mind that you went there. So, yeah. so I guess, tell me the story. So how did you go? We'll just pick, I mean, there's so many places to start, but we'll go. Because I guess King's College to Arizona State seems like a pretty big culture shock as well. So, like, what's the story? How did you end up going from King's to Arizona State? Oh, so I was doing. Uh, so I'm not a computer science by training guy. Uh, I was actually doing electronics, and I, I'm. Oh boy, flash, flash! I saw Back to the Future with my kids yesterday. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're doing no, it. But, Go uh, way back. So I, I studied electro, electromagnetics and mi microwave engineering. So I designed radios and uh -huh. radars, things like this. So I was doing microwave, monolithic microwave integrated circuits in King's College. And I went to uh, Arizona to do more electromagnetics. And there the problem was that we needed supercomputers to, to do simulations, right? Mm -hmm. So that was... 98, 99, and that's when the first B-Wolf clusters started. So at the time, they were called B-Wolf clusters, you know, made out of a, a bunch of Windows PCs. We would put Linux on them and, and build, a, build a cheap supercomputer, right? So that's when I started shifting from electronics, electromagnetics to actually doing computer stuff mm -hmm. uh, and building my first B-Wolf cluster. Uh, and then at when I went to Purdue, I built the, the, the first commodity-based cluster there. We bought, we bought 100 servers uh, that were based on, that were dual socket AMD machines. There, there was, it was no dual core at the time, so it was dual sockets, right? Okay. Uh, and that was the first one. And I remember because the, the racks were on wheels, and the first time they showed up there, the, the guy in charge of the data center said, there's no way you're going to put you know, you, there's no way you're going to stack 20 servers on wheels. Your rack is going to flip over, right? <laughs> so, okay. so we took out the wheels and we laid the rack on the floor like this. So anyway, you know, now okay. you're now you went you went from Arizona to Purdue, okay, and you switch from electromagnetics to building clusters. So that was and sort doing... of your entryway into like to, you basically got into building computers and software to facilitate your research. Is that kind of what your gateway into exactly. all of this, this stuff? Exactly. Okay. And because at, at, at Arizona State, so it's it's even a little bit funnier, right? Mm -hmm. Because at Arizona State, so we were doing those those big computation, and it would take weeks to to get in line and to get access to the supercomputer. So my supervisor at the time said, "Oh, do not worry. I got money from the Department of Defense. We're <laughs> going to buy 
est euh, dual CPU euh, HP workstation. Okay. <laughs> so he bought this big ass HP server, uh, but you know, at the time he, he thought that magically just by running on that machine it would get twice as fast, right? right. Did, And did it didn't work out that way. That, no, it didn't work out that way. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds that actually sounds like corporate America more than it sounds like I did. He's like, I don't know, let's just buy this computer and see if it works. He's <laughs> like, yeah. no, that's not going to work. So yeah. then you, so you make your way. Then I guess uh, you become a, a professor at Clemson. Is that what you uh, was your your yeah, role, your so job? I did, I, yeah. So I did a bunch of things at at Purdue, which were more like grid computing and virtualization, right? So that that's where I got very heavy on middleware. Uh, and when I joined Clemson, it was really to do distributed computing and cloud, right? Mm -hmm. That was so. When did I join Clemson? 2006. Right, so the cloud had started like 2005, something like this. Right, um, you know, EC2 S3, and at that time I was right there in EC2 S3 building. Basically, the whole goal was to to be able to run random code coming from scientists from all over the world, mm -hmm. not audit that code, but run it on your cluster. Got so it. how do you how do you secure it? Well, you make it run in virtual machines just gotcha. for security. Reasons, right mm -hmm. so we were all busy trying to you know start hundreds thousands of virtual machines on supercomputers mm -hmm. everybody thought this was nuts uh, we called them you know virtual virtual organization clusters at the time and then suddenly Amazon announces EC2 and then everybody's like oh wow you're building a cloud <laughs> <laughs> so and you're like yeah right. okay yeah so we did we did things like you know using Tiny, I think it, how tiny core VM, tiny VM. Mm -hmm. So we, we we did we did stupid, you know. I want to say stupid shit. Yeah, let's go for it. We did stupid shit like, you know, running 10,000 tiny core VMs on you know 500 nodes or you know 100 nodes of a, a supercomputer, right? <laughs> and you know having all of them boot out of a NFS server and see how much you know how much could the NFS server take? You know, I mean that was yeah that was fun. That's crazy. Okay, and so you're in Clemson. Were you a, so you're a professor? Were you teaching classes as well, yep. like doing the whole yep. thing? What was that like? Was it was it fun to teach? Was it like undergrads or graduate students? Was it good, bad, I, ugly? I did both. I did both. So I did undergrad. I was I, I taught you know uh, introduction to basically distributed computing. So socket, you uh -huh. know socket socket programming. Uh, you know uh, basic TCP servers. Uh, you know basic. Uh, How to craft, uh, you know, basic uh, raw socket requests. Uh, I did projects like, you know, um, uh, distributed uh, multiplayer, multiplayer games, things like this. Oh, so that was cool. quite. That's pretty fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay, and then I have to ask here about Clemson. This is, you know, way off topic, but okay. So you're a man who, with a, a very strong European background, traveled the world. While you were there, did you become a fan of American football? Because Clemson, of course, in college football, is very well known for having a good team. So, did this wear off on you at all? So at the time, Clemson was not playing well. Mm -hmm. And when I left, Dabo had just taken over from the previous coach. I don't remember Tommy his Bowden. name. Tommy yep. Yeah, there you go. Bowden, yep. So Dab Dabo was assistant coach. He took over from uh, yeah, Bowden, the, the son, who, who had done terrible while I was there. Um, and then he, Dabo Sweeney just turned the team over, uh, around, right? And they started winning after I left. <laughs> But uh, no, I was, you know, I was at Purdue for five years, so we were big, big ten, big ten folks. You know, it was more like, you know, uh, yeah, Purdue, and then you know Notre Dame and things like this. Uh, But to be honest, I hate college football. Oh, you I do? Mean, okay, that's, that's what I figured. I, like, I figured you're gonna I like love, hate it. What's that? I NFL? love NFL. I okay. love the NFL. I hate college football. Okay. Well, there's any, any particular reason? I guess I have to follow up. Is it just not just not fun, or you don't like the fact students have to play, or like what you take? Yeah, the fact students have to play in front of eighty thousand people that are paying big tickets, you know, and then, you know, they're spending so much money on on swag and tickets, and then the the kids are banging on each other for free. I I, I think it, as a European, you 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 ask the question. I think yeah. it's it's. Weird. I think it's strange. Yeah, it is. Well, I think, you know what, as an American, I, I, while I love college football, I think it's crazy too. And I want them all to like get paid kind of like more, I guess, European model where it's like, yeah, they can just get paid. Like, you know, just like, you know, being in the minor leagues or the foot, uh, the regular football or soccer, as we say here in America, right? Yeah. Like they do in uh, Europe. Feels, it feels strange. 
it feels strange to me. I, you know, but but I get the fact that you know those towns they have big stadium. You'll never, you never. There's only one eighty thousand people stage capacity stadium in France. It's in Paris, right? <laughs> well, that's funny. That's why I always thought it was so interesting because I think Clemson, the town, is you know it's not very big, right? So when they pack the stadium, no, no, no. it's just like you know it's like oh, yeah. I don't know eighty percent of the the surrounding area is at the stadium yeah. or something, something yeah, yeah. crazy like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, nice. last football question. This is you brought it up. Uh, yeah. Since you're a European, you didn't have any American um, uh, automatic birthright to 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 uh, decide what team you had to cheer for. Like, did you? Are you just a fan of the NFL, or did you align with a specific NFL team? So I don't know how this happened, but uh, as long as Brett Favre was playing, I was a big Green Bay guy. Green Bay Packers, uh, that's good. That's a good. Yeah, good so thing. I love I love the Packers as long as you know Favre was playing, uh, and then yeah, you know, hate it or whatever. But I became a huge Patriots fan. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, I have to end this podcast right now. That may be the last it's, thing we hear. Okay. All yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. that's a good. So, hey, you know what? If you get to pick and you're not like and tied Steelers. down, Steelers, and, and Steelers. Okay. I, I like the Steelers. And right. then, yeah. Well, I was gonna say. I mean, if you if you are allowed to kind of like pick the team, like why not pick the Patriots? Like they've been the best for the last two decades. So I mean, can't yeah, can't really blame you there. Today's show is sponsored by Strong DM. Working from home, managing a gazillion SSH keys, database passwords, and Kubernetes certs. Meet StrongDM. Manage and audit access to servers, databases, and Kubernetes clusters, no matter where your employees are. With StrongDM, easily extend your identity provider to manage infrastructure access. Automate onboarding, offboarding, and moving people within roles with the click of a button. Trusted by companies like Hearst, Peloton, and SoFi to manage access, you have more control and less hassle. StrongDM. Manage and audit remote access to infrastructure. Start your free 14-day trial today at strongdm.com slash SDT, all uppercase. Again, that's strongdm.com slash SDT. No credit card required. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. All right. So you're out in academia. You've done all these crazy things. You travel the world, and then you decide to leave. And it's, it looks like you uh, you left there and you went to Citrix. So what was the story? What was the story behind leaving academia for Citrix? Oh, yeah. So, you know, I mentioned that we were building clouds uh, early 2005, 2006. And here I was in Clemson, as you said, small town. Right. And I look at companies, you know, getting involved in like, uh, you know, eucalyptus and then OpenStack is, is, is going nuts as well. And and I'm like, you know, this is this is interesting. We are working on the same things. We have similar ideas. We're we are writing papers and, and things like this. But these guys are building a business. They're trying to build a business. And here I am working with, with students, right? So I, I felt something was at odd, right? That you know, there are a lot of people that are working on very advanced ideas, but you're not involved in the development of businesses. You know, so that was kind of my my thought there. Um, so I said, you know what, uh, academia is great, but, uh, you know, I've done six years, you know, uh, uh, I did get tenure, right. So I could have stayed there forever, but I just didn't see myself in Clemson, you know, for the <laughs> next 35 years. Yeah. So I said, you know, let, let's go, let's go to Europe. And what was funny. So the little stories that cloud.com, which was behind CloudStack, uh, the lead developer advocate of cloud.com, David Nally, lives in Liberty, South Carolina, which is really? okay. ten, 10 miles, 10 miles outside of Clemson, right? right. So, uh, okay, weird reason, serendipity again. Um, I mean, I do some work at, at CERN. That's how I got connected to Geneva. So I do some work at CERN. I write some blogs. Shannon Williams from uh, cloud.com right. reads the blog. And then he calls me up and he's like, hey, what do you think about CloudStack? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know about CloudStack. Let me let me have a look at it. And then we have a couple calls. And then I meet David Nally at the local Starbucks in Clemson. And then next thing I know, you know, they get acquired by Citrix. And then they make, they make me an offer to, to join them and go back to Europe to, to develop the community in, in Europe. And Fantastic. I said, yes. So this is, um, you know, it's like, it, so one, I think we should say here, South Carolina, 
who knew it's the uh, the capital of uh, OpenStack, the cloud.com world. It, it all started in uh, South yeah. Carolina. I don't think people South, know that. South, South. <laughs> um, and then, the, you know, uh, we actually had uh, Shannon on the show a few, I don't know, a few months ago. And so now yeah. he's gone on to like, we'll call it a fame and fortune at uh, Rancher Labs, right? With, uh, yeah. with that yeah. crew. And then uh, I think yeah. it was uh, Peter Yurlander. He was over there. Was he in cloud.com as yep. well? Yep. I think he's, yeah, correct. I think he's finding more fame and fortune at what AWS last I heard. So, yeah. Yeah. and then yeah. of course, uh, you know, your, your co-founder, Mark Hinkle, he was over there as well. So it's, right. it's, it's so quite Mark, the uh, track so, record there. Right. So Mark was, uh, you know, he had some, he had some medical issues at the time when I joined. So the little funny story just for people, you know, trying to get a job in, in, in times of COVID, I hired for Citrix all remotely and, and I signed my contract through DocuSign. Um, I didn't see Mark's face. I didn't see Peter, you know, Peter's face. I only met David once. Everything was done remote and suddenly I was hired. You know? Hey. Well, you know, that, who knew that would become, that is now the normal way to get yeah. hired. It seems like in yeah. the period of COVID. So, um, okay. all right, well, you got there. So you get, you know, you get this uh, great job at, at Citrix. You're the open source cloud architect, and obviously you're really involved in cloud stack. So, so what did you actually do? What did you do with cloud stack? Like kind of what was your role there? It was, re it was really, you know, at the time they called it, they called it evangelist. And I hated this term because it's, it's a very American term. Right. right? Evangelist, evangelist. I hated it. Now developer advocate is much, is much better, but really it was, you know, relationship between customers, users of the open source solution and, uh, you know, all future developers. And yes, there was quite a bit of preaching you know, preaching the gospel of using the cloud, developing for the cloud, adopting DevOps practices. You know, that was great. I see. But hey, let's, let's, let's fast forward because otherwise this is going to take for ages. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll get there. We'll but, get there. We'll get there. Okay, okay so you're... Story. No, no, no. The funny story. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm at Citrix and then Docker arrives, right? Yep. So here we are. Everybody is working on virtual machines. We're all building private clouds. And then suddenly everybody starts talking about containers. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what the heck? Are you are you kidding me? Right? We we know about containers, LXC and Solarizon, BSD gels. Why is containers suddenly coming back into into fashion when we are all busy building private clouds? Uh, so one thing that I learned is sometimes when I give talks, I said, do not dismiss. Right? So do not dismiss a new tech, even if you think this is nuts, this is crazy, this is stupid. Never dismiss because if there are a lot of people using it, is that there must be something. So I'm at Citrix and I pay attention to Docker and through Mark's Hinkle connection with O'Reilly, actually because I had written an O'Reilly book for CloudStack, I start writing a Docker cookbook, right? How to use Docker. Uh, and that's how I got into containers and then right. ultimately, you know, Kubernetes and so on. So. All right, so we'll take us through. So CloudStack, right? I mean, because I think that is sort of an interesting, like, you know, CloudStack's doing, going along, you know, OpenStack's going along, and then kind of containers hits. So like, what was your, like, how do you look back now at CloudStack and OpenStack? Are you, is it sort of like they served a purpose and, and sort of like the industry has moved on? Obviously, they're still ongoing and to some degree. Like, like how do you kind of summarize, you know, kind of your experience with CloudStack and where it is today? So I think they totally served their purpose. Uh, there was a third player in that mix to me, not not Eucalyptus, but actually uh, Open Nebula. Open Open Nebula was a Europe was the European alternative. It was funded by European Commission, developed by some folks in Madrid, uh, and I actually I used Open Nebula to build the first uh, cloud at CERN, their first prototype. It was 2009, right? Uh, and we built a cloud on 500 servers that, that were in, uh, you know, we were burning them for a couple of months before they go in production. So we built a cloud on 500 servers using Open Nebula. Everything works perfect. Mm -hmm. Everything works perfectly. But then because of the community traction, the ecosystem traction behind OpenStack, uh, you know, suddenly everything shifted a little bit in a crazy manner towards OpenStack. And they, they managed to get a huge ecosystem momentum behind software. And I think that was the first time that we had such traction behind, uh, you know, an open source project 
with the backing of vendors and you know and everything and that that's really what shifted everything so you know uh open nebula technologically to me was actually you know even better mm-hmm. easier to install perform very well CloudStack, you know, same thing. All the folks doing Java and so on, they still love CloudStack. There's still a lot of users of CloudStack right now. You don't hear about them, right? So technologically, both two very, very sound uh, solution. Uh, But then first time that we have this huge uh, ecosystem buildup and marketing machine going towards OpenStack, right? Okay. So that's been. I mean, to me, it's been fascinating. I, I, I just. I don't look at it with like uh, regrets or anything. It's more fascination of how you know our entire industry evolves, right? Yeah. Well, I think you, as you said earlier, like, you know, I, you're so great. I mean, people dismiss new technology all the time, but I kind of. I often say sometimes like technology and waves. It's kind of like hit songs. Like I don't know. You can't really predict like what's going to be a hit song, and it just happens sometimes. And then you look back and you say. I don't think that music was good or I don't get it, but it's like, it doesn't matter. It's, this is where the world's going. So you just, you know, got to get on board sometimes. Hello from Twilio. Today's show is sponsored by Twilio. Businesses all over the world right now are trying to reinvent how they connect with the world. Whether you're delivering packages, treating patients, or running a global customer support center, your customers need you to invent new ways to stay connected. Twilio is the platform that millions of developers trust to build seamless communications experiences with phone calls, text messages, video calls, and more. Whatever your use case, Twilio has your back. It's time to build. Visit Twilio.com to learn more. And of course, we thank Twilio for sponsoring our show. So you, um, so Citrix, it sounds like you guys had a good run there. I know, you know, everyone went off to do other things. You know, this is about the time I think Shannon says, you know, he goes off and gets involved in Rancher Labs. And it sounds like you went off and you started uh, Skipbox. So what was Skipbox and why did you decide to start it? Yeah, so you know, as as I said, uh, so it was 2013, right? Docker shows up, and I start I start paying close attention to Docker, trying to understand what's going on. Um, and as I look at it, I'm like, okay, fine, this is this is going to change things, and this is even going to change the uh, the, the 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 VM orchestration market, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, so I make several presentations to the, the CTOs at, uh, at Citrix. There was several CTOs, not, not just one. There was a group of CTOs. <laughs> the office of the CTO, so I, as they say. <laughs> yes, exactly. The office of the CTO. Um, but then it was a bit early, right? So I, I remember making, you know, kind of a couple of suggestions of, you know, things that Citrix should pay attention to or should try to do. Or, but it was very early, right? Um, and in terms of you know tracking the tech and or, or trying to use the tech in some products and things like this, what's interesting is that Darren Shepard had been hired at Citrix as well to work on CloudStack. Some, oh, okay. Most people don't don't know this, right? And so he started also playing with containers, you know, while while he was he was already at uh, at Citrix. But then uh, they left, and I left. I think six months after, so they left, created Rancher which was really a container orchestrator. And then I left and I created, you know, small company, uh, Skipbox, created a bunch of software around Docker and, uh, you know, totally not the same scale being in Europe and it was more of a, an independent effort. Uh, but the kicker for me was that, <clears throat> and that's another funny story. So here I am trying to understand Docker, why people are getting crazy about Docker. And as I'm doing this, uh, of course, I start looking at Kubernetes. So Kubernetes came out June 2014, and I actually I looked up the other the, the other day. I I committed documentation about how to run Kubernetes on Cloud Stack in September 2014. Right? <laughs> okay. So I was like, I, that's my claim for fame. There you go. Uh, yeah, there you go. But as I'm looking at Kubernetes, I'm like, hey, hold on a second. This this is actually the technology that Google is using to run their cloud, GCE. Yep. Right. So when you go to GCE and you ask for a virtual machine, you get a VM, which is backed by KVM, but you get a VM, mm-hmm. and that VM is actually running in a container, and it's orchestrated by Borg, yep. which is their internal system. So when Google open source Kubernetes or they, they rebuilt Kubernetes from scratch, I should say, I was like, oh my God, 
this is going to totally kill OpenStack. Yeah. Okay. So you got right? it right away. You knew right away. There was no <laughs> no hesitation in your yeah. mind. Okay. No, I was like, I was like, CloudStack doesn't have enough traction, right? Mm -hmm. Open Nebula is a European project. People are starting to get frustrated with OpenStack because it's too complicated to connect all the bits. And here is Kubernetes. And with the craziness going around containers, look, we could have a VM orchestration uh, backed by the same technology that Google is using to, to, to manage a GCE. And for me, it was the haha moment because uh, if Amazon had open sourced EC2, Right, everybody would have adopted what Amazon oh, would have yeah. source. They wouldn't have cared about OpenStack and CloudStack and so on. And suddenly, I see Google do it right by starting to rewrite Kubernetes, and I'm like, let's go. Right. What I didn't think is that uh, nobody would use Kubernetes to orchestrate VMs. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and and Google didn't push that. Right. They didn't right. try to kill. They didn't try to kill OpenStack. They they let kind of OpenStack you know fizzle. Mm -hmm. But they really pushed on the, hey, you need to containerize all your workloads. Forget about VMs. Containerize, containerize, containerize. Right? So that, that, that's one bit that, you know, yeah. I, I don't know why that didn't happen. It's interesting. Yeah. No, well, it's interesting, you know, what you talk about just in general around, you know, I, I don't know. We can uh, probably tell the story both ways. It's like, was, uh, was Google like a strategic genius in uh, open sourcing Kubernetes? And, uh, because, you know, lately they've sort of like wanted to take control of it and there's been a lot of controversy, more control of it, I guess. And then there's been, uh, or did they just sort of like do it by accident? They're just like, well, there's these, these group of people that want it and they're not really paying attention. Uh, so I don't know, I guess that'll probably be a book that'll have to be written later. Like, was it strategic genius or just serendipity that got uh, Google to where it is? So, um, but what I think is interesting, so kind of back on it. So it sounds like, you know, you, you had your fun at a skip box, you, you sold it to Bitnami, spent a little time there. So it looks like. And then, yep. you know, and I think it's what's interesting is, you know, kind of you and this group of people you've been working with, you know, you guys have been on kind of the latest trends, like have a pretty good track record here. Like early on, you were building clouds before clouds, you kind of got to the cloud stack before everyone got on it. And so now you started Trigger Mesh. So why don't you give us the quick 30 second pitch? What is Trigger Mesh and what prompted you to start this one? So it's cloud native integration. Uh... Yeah, that's it. Cloud native integration platform. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the the pitch is that you know if you if you take a, a little step back uh, and you 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 try to see what you're doing with applications these days in in the cloud, uh, you know you realize that you're move you're putting more and more services into the cloud. You're using more and more cloud services, right? So your world, and that's the talk I gave at KubeCon. Your world is becoming more service full. Right. right, you're full of services everywhere, mm -hmm. and your big challenge is not to is not to provision, is not to deploy, you know, things like this. Your big challenge is to integrate all those services, right? At right. least that's that's what we see. So, you know, as we as we accelerate the move to the cloud, and especially in you know COVID COVID times, right? We we need to accelerate this move to the cloud, uh, integrating, you know, all those services. Uh, is really really becoming becoming key, uh, so that's why we started building building Trigger Mesh as a, a cloud native integration platform, making use of uh, you know tools like Kubernetes, like containers, like you know Open API Schema, uh, CI/CD, you know DevOps DevOps mindset, right? You you have all those things that we've been using or building the last ten years, you know how does that affect the way that we build integrations? Right. And right. it's really based, as so I understand, right? It's really based on serverless, right? That's sort of the core, you know, oper uh, architecture you're bringing to bear. So why not, like, can I think you have this interesting take between serverless and service, service full? So maybe, like, I don't know, can you kind of explain kind of the distinction or the way that you think through that? Yeah. So there, you know, to be, to be totally fair, you know, so just before I sold Skipbox to Bitnami, I had created one of the first function as a service on top of Kubernetes, mm -hmm. the, the FAS. So I created Kubeless. Um, and I didn't create it in my in my garage. I created it in my basement with, uh, <laughs> uh, his name is Tuna, Nguyen. 
uh-huh. uh, from Viet- from Vietnam. So you know, he came. We've been working together for years, and mm-hmm. he, he came to the house, and we spent a week in my in my basement <laughs> where we were, you know, coding the the beginning of of Cubeless. But at the beginning, you see, the the focus was really serverless uh, as a Developers want to deploy application faster. You wanna, you wanna almost a pass a platform as a service, uh, which is you know a little easier to use than the full-blown Cloud Foundry, uh, a little bit more modern than Heroku, uh, and it runs on Kubernetes. Uh, the bits are containerized and so on. So that was that was the idea that that we started with you know for Kubeless, very serverless centric. So at the beginning, when Mark Inkle and I created Trigger Mesh, we said, hey, we need a serverless management platform for multi-cloud because people want to use Lambda. They may have some services in Google. They still have some stuff on-prem. So you need to be able to connect all those things uh, and you need to use functions that are serverless. So our, our thinking was very serverless management centric. And as we started, you know, doing a lot of market exploration, talking to people, developing prototypes and so on, we, we really refined our thinking. It's not, you know, it's going to sound like, a, you know, an excuse, but it's not a pivot. Right. <laughs> it's, it's really a, a refinement of the, the thinking, which is the, the refinement is hey, actually a serverless architecture is really a, an event driven application that allows you to connect, integrate services from everywhere right right? so the value it's like that you are really focused in on is is like you said it's like i have potentially written lots of things and you know on premise potentially i could have some services there i could have some services in aws maybe some things in gcp and ultimately you want to be that traffic cop like pulling all of that together so i have a central place to if you will integrate all of these event-based serverless workflows am i getting that right is that a good description of trigger yep okay yeah yeah Good, uh, very good description. Yeah. So, uh, as you kind of think about, it, like maybe walk us through, what do you think? What is a popular problem that uh, customers and clients that you're reaching out with, like, what are they trying to do with it today? Like, walk us through a good example. Uh, let's let, let's keep it simple. You know, at first, so we, you know, we we did uh, recently, uh, you know, a good POC with somebody that a very straightforward integration. They have all their customers' information in Salesforce, mm-hmm. uh, but then they totally rearchitected the entire backend infrastructure, uh, backed by Kafka, right? And what they want is that every time there is an event in Salesforce, they want to send that event to Kafka. And then, you know, different bits of the infrastructure take over and build different services, update some database, you know, whatever. So we basically provided that bridge for them. We, we listen uh, in almost real time with the, the Salesforce commit D protocol, whatever. We, we listen to Salesforce event and mm-hmm. we publish them into Kafka in a beautiful Cloud native computing foundation format called cloud event, uh, cloud event specifications. Right? right. So we consume Salesforce. We we publish to Kafka. Uh, a little bit of magic that we can provide is that in the middle we can actually massage the the event. We can transform it. Mm-hmm. We can enrich the metadata. We can add some keys, shift some keys, things like this, and then publish it to uh, publish it to Kafka. So that that's one. Mm-hmm. Another relatively simple one we did was a, a company that wanted to to publish its its company that was using Oracle Cloud. You know, people people okay. keep laughing about Oracle Cloud, but it, it is being used. Okay. Uh, so these folks, yeah, these folks have a <laughs> bunch of stuff on Oracle Cloud, but Datadog, you know, doesn't yet have a, an integration with Oracle Cloud out of the box. So we provided a, a bridge for them. Uh, you know, that, that, that do this so, connection. When I'm doing kind of this connection, um, who's writing kind of this business logic, if you will. So I, like you said before, like take the Salesforce. So like the event comes out and then yep. you know, I want to do something to the event. I want to do a transform or something around that. Is that, are you doing that or are you providing the platform to then allow the client or the customer to like write their business logic? How does that work? Yep. Yeah, so our team is our team is uh, very much a, a backend team. So we are uh, we we do have a, a very nice console dashboard, but the uh, you know the the core of the team is really uh, you know folks that are backend people. We build API, we are Kubernetes operators, things like this. So I want to say 
you know, we are API first. Okay. <laughs> so, so we built a so-called declarative API uh, as an extension of Kubernetes, right? Mm -hmm. So all our bits run in Kubernetes. We extended the Kubernetes API with um, a lot of objects. So objects that represent event sources, objects that represent event uh, syncs or targets mm -hmm. or destination, and then an event that we call a bridge and uh, the uh, sorry, uh, an API that, that we call a bridge that connects everything together. So, so what you do is that you have to write an API object that says, hey, I'm listening to Salesforce. I want it to go to Kafka and Elasticsearch, and then I want to modify the payload like this. Mm -hmm. And all of this is written in a manifest, uh, like a Kubernetes object. Right. And, uh, and you can stick that into your, uh, into your version control Mm -hmm. Right, and and then you let your CI/CD system take over, uh, and 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 basically deploy those those objects, right? Okay, and so like, do I am I writing if I'm the client? Am I using the API to basically write that business logic and then deploy it? Is that how it works? Yeah, so it depends yeah. on your persona, right? Okay. If you're if you're more if you're a DevOps, you know, <laughs> DevOps engineer, or if you're an operation guy and you're a person, sorry, mm -hmm. and you're close to the you're close to the back end. Yes, you can author those manifests yourself. If you're more like, uh, I want to say, how do they call it? Like a business uh, analyst or something? Yeah, citizen developer, I think. Citizen, is the okay, there you go. Yes. Citizen developer, right? Mm -hmm. Then you use our amazing console where we have a bridge editor. Right. And it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, point and click. Kind of walk through it. I've, I've played with it a little bit. It's kind of like a rules-based thing, right? You can kind of go through like, answer yeah. some questions and then you'll do the transform. Okay. So is it, and then where does this ultimately, like when I'm deploying it, am I using, you know, your installation of trigger mesh in the cloud? Can I buy trigger mesh and deploy it on premise? Like how does that part work? Yeah. So we are, we have two deployment options. So one is the SaaS. So you go to cloud.triggermesh.io and then we operate all the bits and you just uh, create your bridges, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but we operate everything, so you don't have to install anything. And then the other, the other bit is the other deployment model is uh, enterprise, mm -hmm. right? So enterprise model, then you know you 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 get you get a license, and you 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 deploy to your own Kubernetes cluster, uh, or which is a managed Kubernetes or whatever, right? And then you have you have the the bits and uh, you you deploy it on uh, on your own infrastructure if you gotcha. wish. So I can kind of do either one. And then you know they're obviously all the cloud vendors. You know AWS, Azure, GCP. They have similar things, right? Obviously they have their own ability to do some form of lambda or functions. They have their own event based systems and things like that. So how does someone go about deciding that? Hey, I should just use one of their systems as it is. Send events to them, or should I? come to you and talked about trigger mesh how how should someone decide that yeah so you know there are definitely uh if you look in the industry i think there are there are people that go cloud first right mm -hmm. so um potentially they pick one cloud but potentially you know they they pick they pick a couple and they they, they really develop straight into the the cloud right um so they're gonna use Lambda, they're gonna use yeah, CloudWatch, right? If they go full AWS. And for those people, there is no real need to use something like Trigger Mesh, right? If they're you know one cloud, then you know they, they adopt all the all the services from, from AWS. But there is still a large part of the, the industry, you know, customers that still have some on-premises uh, infrastructure, right? And they may they may want to have that event orchestration system, that integration system on premises. Then you know that's us. Uh, we also see. I'm, I'm going to use the term hybrid, but I don't want to you know people to go crazy. What I mean by hybrid is that you know it's it's customers that that keep the control of their cluster. They use a managed service like EKS or GKE, mm -hmm. but then they want to install their own stuff in yeah. in that cloud, right? So we, we see a lot of this, people on GKE, on EKS, um, uh, that, you know, they, they, they still control, they still control some of their bits, but they use, they use the, the, the cloud, right? So then, 
they want to get uh, Trigger Mesh uh, directly from us. Gotcha. So, right. so any any type of hybrid, multi-cloud, people with infrastructure, I, I, it seems like yeah. that's going to make a lot of sense. And even, you know, our good friends over at AWS, you know, Andy Jassy, you know, you know, he finally admitted, you know, AWS finally said multi-cloud, uh, you know, after <laughs> the long-awaited uh, time at the last keynote. So even they are relenting, right? I think that's, you know, um, and I find that, you know, in my own interactions and stuff, it's like, that's the reality. Like everybody has workloads on-premise and kind of everywhere. And so the idea that large or enterprises can ever really be a single cloud vendor, I mean, it's just an enormous undertaking. So that's yeah, why you and need it's this. Not- and it's not even like a you know a war like Amazon, Google, Azure, uh, Oracle, right? So we we talk quite a lot with Oracle. Um, uh, you know they have they have they have customers that that use the Oracle cloud, okay? <laughs> uh, but then but then those customers, you know, they they also use Elasticsearch, Elastic, right? Yep. And they also and they also use Datadog, yep. right? So an Oracle is very pragmatic about this. They're like, hey, you know, they, they run their workloads on, on our VMs, but you know what? They, 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 they use Datadog for, uh, for monitoring. So we have no problem with this. So let's send, let's send metrics to Datadog. And, and we run into folks that, you know, they, they also need like a single place to do monitoring. So maybe they, maybe they pick Datadog, but they actually have metrics coming from on-prem. They have metrics coming from Oracle. They have metrics from Google Cloud, right? So definitely, you know, these folks are uh, multi-cloud, right? So it's, yeah, well, that, it's not no, a... I think you've hit on a lot of it. I mean, I think, you know, people can be shocked like how quickly even small companies have multiple solutions, multi-clouds. I mean, you've already mentioned what Salesforce, ServiceNow, yeah. you know, GitHub, because you have your traditional SaaS services and then you have your cloud infrastructure. So it's very, I, you know, like I said, I it's it isn't really so much a war. It's... Although I think sometimes the people at AWS feel that way because they just will never, <laughs> they'll uh, never because, say it. You know, <laughs> go ahead. The, the the devil the devil is in the words, and then you know, of course, you can you can create controversy by 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 fighting over a definition. Some some people say that multi cloud means that you're trying to to make your workload run on different clouds, the same workload. Yeah. Uh, at, at Trigger Mesh, our view of multi-cloud is that yes, your your environment is multi-cloud. You use Salesforce. Yeah. You use uh, no, sorry, you use Slack, which is now Salesforce. <laughs> you use GitHub, which is Microsoft. You use Gmail, which is Google, and then you have stuff running on Amazon, right? And and now you would like somehow to integrate, you know, all of it because you have some interesting workflow, right? So you know a new you know, a new employee shows up and automatically you want to, you know, for onboarding reasons, you want to create a GitHub account, you want to create a Slack account, you want to create Google Drive and, you know, and, and give him give him or her some some uh, IAM roles on AWS, right? Yeah. Uh, so anyway. Yeah, no, yeah. it's the reality. It's the reality world. So <clears throat> multi-cloud, multi-services, whatever. You're going to have lots of things. You're going to need integration points. So. Uh, well, Your service full. Service full, that's service. right. There you go. There, right on message, right on cue. Um, well, the other part I wanted to talk a little bit about was, you know, you've hit on it a little bit um, in our discussion here, but so much of the promise of Kubernetes and, and containers, right, is always about like, hey, let people write the business logic, not have to, you know, if you will, get so deep into the infrastructure, right? And I think that's sort of like where serverless Lately, I feel like it's it, it came out for a long time. People kind of made funny fun of it. There's the classic joke, oh, it still runs on servers. But now, you know, back to the AWS to speak really highly of them. You know, last week they announced like one, I think it was uh, basically millisecond billing, right? So like one there, if you deploy things on a serverless, you know, if you will, that increment of billing is going to go down. And then they also uh, had, I think, a serverless version of uh, Postgres, right? So this idea that, you know, hey, your database can now. So if you think about it, like, where we all started, when you started way back at Clemson or before that was like, hey, I just want to run workloads from scientists everywhere. And those people just know how to write their code. They don't know any of this other stuff. It's just like, okay, now we're flashing forward. It feels like serverless is the next real push to like, let's make this the reality. Let's like no longer, those that have to go to the big CNCF presentations go, but everybody else, maybe we could just start, you know, doing everything serverless or kind of coming to the problem that way. The part that I, I think that will be interesting to see is that to do that, you really have to event, uh, embrace event-based model or event-based programming, right? That's really where you're getting this, this value. So do you see going forward, if I was building an application today 
and I was going to sit down. I said, hey, I want to do it in a modern way. I'm a greenfield deployment. Um, how would you tell someone to decide, yeah, build everything event-based versus maybe doing it in a more traditional architecture? How do you think about that problem? Good, good question. Um, one, one comment first, which I, you know, uh, which I raised in my in my talk at at KubeCon, uh, and you and you, you know, you you mentioned it, uh, is that actually the the move towards serverless is just realizing the the true vision of the cloud. Uh, when the cloud started, we wanted something which was a utility, where you had elasticity. Right? You, you need more, you get more. You need less, you get less. And then uh, pay as you go. Right? That, that, was, that was the vision of, of the cloud. So we, you know, we had it, but of course we had a strong focus on infrastructure because we didn't know how to do it. So we had to concentrate on, hey, you know, how the hell are we going to be able to, to uh, create infrastructure on demand? Right? So there was a huge focus on IIS. Um, and now, you know, what, you, what you're seeing is that we're, we're going up the stack. We, we, we keep going all the stack and the big cloud provider, they make money still on selling the bits, right? Yes. But we're getting, we, we're getting up the stack. So now that, you know, the infrastructure layer with elasticity and on demand is solved, we go up and suddenly you're seeing, you know, uh, database, database that are, uh, you know, cloud cloud aware, so you call them serverless. What does that mean? It's a fully managed database that's going to scale when you need more, and then you only pay for what you use, right? So it's a cloud database, yes. right? So, so, you know, so, so, you know, in fact, what we're seeing is that they, they branded, the cloud providers branded as serverless, but really it's the, it's the true vision of the cloud. And I think we're going to see this more and more. All the cloud services are going to be labeled serverless in the sense that, hey, forget about, forget about the infrastructure. We manage it for you. And it's a bit boring in the sense that, yes, you know, there had been companies doing managed services for, for a long time. Uh, but anyway, uh, so that's, that's serverless. And then the monetization game is that because they can do so much volume, the price is going to go down. They're going, they're going to bring the price down. So now they're charging per millisecond, right, the, 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 the function. So, you know, we know, we know where, this is, where this is all uh, going. Uh, what's going on with event-driven is that, uh, you know, so I, I like to think about it as, okay, now that you have all those clouds that are, that have all those services, what, what's going on? Well, instead of writing, you know, C calls, system calls and writing C, uh, now you're writing a Terraform plan, right? Or you're writing, a, you know, Ansible or whatever to uh, create services and, and use them. So your actual, uh, your actual kernel is the cloud, right? And it's all the APIs that make up all your cloud providers. That's, that's your kernel. Right. Uh, so now, you know, your application, what, what, what's going on with your application? Well, your, your application need to call those, uh, you know, system calls or those cloud calls whenever an event happens. Right. So you need to you need to monitor. Right. Oh, there is a file in a bucket. OK. What do I do now? Well, you know, you, you call this function. Uh, oh, there is there is a, a, a request coming on my API gateway. What do I do? Well, you know, you 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 stick a copy here in that bucket, and then and then you you add the entry in the database, right? So uh, as you're leveraging all those APIs that make up the cloud, uh, now you're indeed coding this logic as an event system, you know. And it's basically a set of if this then that, right? If this happens, what do I in do? That, yep. Right? Mm -hmm. So you know you you determine all those if this then that and as you say we you know we call it business logic or whatever, and and to be able to you know keep something that's going to scale and that's loosely coupled and fault tolerant and something, even driven is you know is is really the the best uh, the best system, right? So you can have event replies, you can uh, retries replies. You know, if it fails, do this, dead letter queues, you know, whatever. So, you know, that that's where that's where we're going almost naturally, I would say. Yeah, no, and I think that's going to be, you know, as we go forward, as you kind of said there, that the, uh, 
the base is there now, this idea that becoming serviceful and like, you know, all of this work has been done. So I think to me, as I talk to customers and clients going forward, it's like those that embrace this event-based thinking first will probably be at a significant advantage building their systems going forward because you're just going to be able to take advantage of all this work. Like you said before, all this work below you come, you know, comes, if you will, for free once you start thinking that way. So it's going to be, it's an exciting time. I think it's an exciting time for all of us. Yeah. You know, look. If you if you look at a, a fairly simple application, let's say let's say you have a, let's say you have a web app and you need a database. Okay, uh, you stick your you stick your code in uh, you you stick your code in GitHub. You use GitHub Action and and then you automatically create a container, right? AWS just announced you know container image as lambdas, so you can automatically deploy your 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 container every time you make a push. You can get automatically to your to your lambda, right? And then you need a database. Well, you you use a serverless database. So whatever you know storage you need on your database, you let AWS manage it. Serverless serverless MySQL, I think it's supported. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you get it. You get it from uh, from them. And then uh, and then you know you put you put an API gateway or you know whatever uh, in front and you, and you're done right and everything is managed by them uh, everything scales right if there is more request you're being built only for what you need right yeah and uh, it's you know, the vision that's, right that's, it's it's where you started way back way back at Arizona yeah. State so it's great yeah yeah yeah. All right, Sebastian, we're, listen, we're, we're just about out of time. So if someone wants to uh, find out more about Trigger Mesh or contact you, where should they go? So, yeah, TriggerMesh.com. Uh, you know, go, go on the website. Uh, you can reach me directly by email, sebgoa at TriggerMesh.com. Uh, Twitter, at TriggerMesh. And then uh, mid-January, January 12th, I think, we're going to do a webinar on uh, – how to use Trigger Mesh with uh, Google Anthos. So that's going to be uh, oh, that's going exciting. to be, there you go. Yeah. All right, nice. And then I think you just you just have a partner. Did you announce some partnership with Google? Did I see that the other day? Yeah. Something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. So you're gonna, partnership with we're going to get like a live. We'll we'll prep the de- the the webinar. I'm going to see some live demos. I know you like to do some live demos. I've seen some of your videos. Will we get a little bit hands on keyboards for those that want to kind of see it all working? Definitely, definitely. Lots of hands on keyboard. All right, that's good. What's well, good? I've seen several of your uh, presentations and demonstrations. So if you're interested, if anyone's interested, go uh, register for the webinar, or you probably find some uh, good Trigger Mesh videos of uh, Sebastian doing all doing his thing uh, out on the website. So, uh, Sebastian, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thanks a lot. That was uh, that was great. I had a good time. All right, and then for everybody else, if this is the first time you've ever heard uh, Software Defined Talk, welcome. You can probably subscribe right now in the podcast player you're listening to. Or if you want to go out to uh, softwaredefinedtalk.com, uh, there we'll have links to all the popular podcast players. And if you want a sticker, just email me at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. Happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. And with that, we will talk to you next time.